And uh, at this time, I want to encourage all of you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. And we're still looking at verses 1 through 4. For several weeks now, we've been making our way through the Lord's Prayer, a a prayer that many are familiar with, but uh, very few, I think, actually understand So to better understand the Lord's Prayer, we've been looking at each of these requests. uh, And what we've seen is that the Lord's Prayer is far, far more than a liturgical mantra. It is a prayer that is meant to teach disciples how to, to think and pray and live. And today we come to the request, forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, before we read the Lord's Prayer together, let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we praise you for being a God of grace and justice, a God who forgives sin because you justly condemned our sin in Jesus Christ on the cross. Help us today as we think about this little request to know our need for forgiveness And to know that you are a God who delights to grant forgiveness when we come to you in Jesus' name. Bless us today as we look to your word, for we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Well, our subject today is the good news of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. But to really understand why that is such good news, we must understand our need for forgiveness. And that's where I want us to begin today in the first place as we think about this request, our need for forgiveness. Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, forgive our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Sin is described here as as a kind of debt. In in Matthew's account, uh, which we're probably more familiar with, the request simply reads, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, at the most basic level, a, a debt is something owed, Uh, When Kelsey and I moved to Johnstown, we purchased our first home, and now every month I have the pleasure of paying our monthly mortgage. And uh, if I don't pay our monthly mortgage, I am subject to penalties. And if I don't pay those penalties, then I become subject to even more severe penalties. Well, the Bible teaches that we owe God, our love, our life, and wholehearted, unending obedience. And when we fail to love and serve God as he deserves, our sin accrues a debt that stands against us. I think the Ten Commandments are a good summary of the life that we owe to God. As Christians, we 
We're all about having the, the Ten Commandments recognized in the public square. But my friends, how much of the Ten Commandments do we have in our own lives at times? Think about the Ten Commandments for just one minute, and I think it becomes clear that we fail to render to God what he deserves. The very first commandment, we are commanded to have no other gods before the true God. We therefore are to to trust and love and, and glorify God with our whole heart. We're forbidden from representing God with images and worshiping God in any way than how he has prescribed in his word. God's word governs God's worship. And anytime we go outside of that, the boundaries that he has laid out, we violate his commands. We are commanded to not take the name of the Lord in vain. That is, we are not to take it lightly. God's word and God's name and God's character are to be treated with with reverence and and honor. We are commanded to keep the Sabbath day holy. One day in seven, we are to set aside for worship to God as we remember our redemption, as we fellowship with the saints, and as we look forward to the eternal rest that awaits the people of God. And it's the Lord's day. It's not the, it's not the Lord's morning. It is a day we are to commit in its entirety to God in worship, rest, fellowship, and mercy. We are commanded to honor those in authority over us. Children are to honor their parents. But of course, this command isn't just for children. It's for for all of us. We're to honor those God places over us in all of life, whether it's in the home, in the state, in the church, or at work. We are commanded not to murder with our hands or our hearts. The Heidelberg Catechism, as it explains this commandment, says that neither in thoughts nor words nor gestures, much less in deeds, I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor. In forbidding murder, God teaches us that he abhors the causes such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and he accounts all of these as murder. Therefore, we are commanded to love our neighbor and to do good even to our enemies. We are commanded to not commit adultery. We are condemned for even looking at another individual with lustful intent. All forms of sexual immorality are prohibited by this commandment, and therefore, positively, we are to be sexually pure in our words and in our thoughts and in our actions. We are commanded not to steal, to unlawfully take the possessions or the ideas or the time of others. We are to shun underhanded ways and to be honest in all of our dealings with others. We're commanded not to bear false witness. We are condemned for for lying, for distorting the truth, for speaking the truth out of season, for slandering, for gossip. We are condemned for destroying the reputation of others with our words. And therefore, we are to be lovers of the truth and always seek to defend the good name of our neighbor. We are commanded not to covet, to to not lust after the things of this world or the possessions of others, but rather to cultivate contentment in the daily provision of God. Now, my friends, 
That is just a superficial run through the Ten Commandments. But once again, how much of the Ten Commandments do we have in our own lives? I think in absolutely clear terms, the commands tell us that we owe God our loving obedience in all of life, that we were made to reflect his image, to be holy as he is holy, and to reflect his character in all of life. But in light of the law, who among us today would stand up and say, I've kept these commands? I have kept the Ten Commandments with my whole heart, with my whole mind, with all of my strength and all of life unending. I've done it perfectly from the moment of my birth. Who of us would say that they have guided their steps, their thinking, their desires, their actions by the commands of God? Who has kept the spirit of the law of God? See, the law of God, it demands perfect Ongoing, unending, wholehearted obedience and observance. And the law is unforgiving in what it demands. And so as Jesus is teaching us to pray for the forgiveness of our sins, my friends, we need to remember that the law of God is unforgiving. That the law of God offers no, uh, no provisions. The, the law of God does not extend Uh, forgiveness to the lawbreaker. It exposes sin and notifies us of a debt without giving us any kind of repayment plan. In fact, as James teaches us in the New Testament, that once you break one command, you are accountable to God for the whole law. And we haven't simply broken one command, dear brothers and sisters. We have broken all of the commands And we haven't just broken all of the commands once. We break all of the commands often. Now just imagine this. Imagine imagine someone made a documentary of your life. Okay, 24-7, seven days a week. And every word you spoke, every thought that you pondered, every desire that you nurtured, every action that you performed, all of it is recorded. Uh, And... uh, and then imagine this documentary is played for, uh, for others to see. Every word, every thought, every desire, every action. This is, uh, this is not the edited version. This is the uncut version, right? This is the director's cut. This is like the Lord of the Rings, 10 hours long, or however long it is. Unedited version. Nothing's left out. And let's just say that today... Um, after our worship service, what we're going to do is hang around and play the documentary of your life right, right here on one of the walls for everyone to see. Every thought, every word, every desire, every action displayed right here before all of us to witness. Now, I suspect that if an uncut documentary of each of our lives would be played out before the congregation that we would just be crushed by the shame. That we would just be bowled over and devastated by the shame. See, there are, there are thoughts and feelings and actions you don't want anyone else to see or know about. And my friends, we're talking here about fellow sinners knowing about your sins. We're, we can't even handle the thought of a fellow guilty sinner knowing about our sin. Shame of our sin is is overwhelming. Just thinking about someone 
finding you out to knowing the hidden details of your lives. And my friends, I want, here's what I want you to think about. Think about this. If the knowledge of a fellow sinner finding out about your sin devastates you, then how, how will you ever stand before a holy judge? These are his commands. This is what he requires of all of those made in his image. And my friends, you will give an account. All of us will stand before the Lord one day. Actually, the illustration of the documentary of your life is more than an illustration. One day it's going to become a reality. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 14, verse 12, that on the day of judgment, each of us will give an account of himself to God. The law of God, it holds us accountable to God. And one day each of us will give an account. And every desire, every thought pondered, every, every word spoken, every action performed, it will be held accountable. So you need to come to terms with, with that reality. We, we need to feel that. It's absolutely devastating without Jesus as your savior, to think about that. The, the unedited documentary of your life played out before a holy, sinless God. It should cause us to tremble. It should cause our knees to shake. And if the Lord marks our iniquities, my friends, who of us can stand? And, and while many of us are aware of this reality, what I want to say today is you need to feel this, to, to come before God as our judge with all of our sin, without a mediator. And, and this awareness, I think, is what lies behind Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, forgive us our sins, because it acknowledges we need debt forgiveness. We need our sins to be pardoned. We need our guilt to be clear. The, the mortgage on my home, dear friends, is a debt that can be repaid. It may take 15 or 30 years, but it is a debt that can be repaid. It's a finite amount. But the sin we commit against God is not a debt that you and I can repay. It is an infinite debt, my friends, because it is a sin committed against an infinite God. And so none of us can stand None of us can repay this debt on our own. And we need to know that, that there is this debt that stands against us that we cannot possibly pay. And so we all stand in need of forgiveness because all of us are accountable to God. And being accountable to God, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore a debt, a record of debt, stands against us. And it will be charged to our account one day. If we stand before the Lord without Jesus Christ. Your sin is being described here as an incalculable debt that you cannot render to God. And perhaps you've heard this hundreds and hundreds of times since you were young. But, but somehow you've convinced yourself that this isn't about you. Or this doesn't apply to you. But my friends, it does apply to you. It applies to each and every one of us. Because all of us are accountable to God. All of us have broken God's law. And therefore, all of us owe a debt we cannot repay. And if you're ever going to know the joy and the freedom of forgiveness. If you're ever going to know the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. 
And you must first come to terms with this reality that you need forgiveness. And that's the first thing we see in the Lord's Prayer, our need for forgiveness. Secondly, we see the granting of forgiveness. Uh, Father, forgive us our sins. And this prayer, it recognizes our need for forgiveness and it recognizes that God grants forgiveness when we confess our sin. David is a great example of this in the Old Testament. We've already focused on Psalm 32 in our worship service this morning, but maybe you'd like to turn there because I I want us to think about Psalm 32 for a few minutes. In Psalm 32, David describes how he felt after his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. You remember how it went? David tried to conceal his sin. But he knew, didn't he? He knew in his heart his guilt before God. And so in Psalm 32 verses 3 through 4, David describes the effects of unconfessed sin. He says, for, I, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. In other words, there are physical, emotional, and psychological effects for unconfessed sin. David felt as though his, his body was wasting away. that As though his strength had been drawn out from him. He felt like he had been working all day in, in the summer sun. He groaned all day. He felt that God's hand was heavy upon him, pushing him down. He had no life, no energy, no joy, nothing but the crushing, devastating sense of guilt. I think it's a description of the psychology of unconfessed sin. What happens when someone tries to conceal their sin and shame? But David recognized his need. And David confessed his guilt to God. He confessed his transgressions before the Lord. So verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Instead of denying his sin, instead of trying to cover over his iniquity and instead of ignoring his transgressions, David took his sin to God. He laid it before the Lord. He confessed his sin. David came clean. He stood naked before the Lord with all of his shame and confessed his transgressions. And my friends, despite knowing the sin and the selfishness and how twisted David had been, how corrupt his thoughts and actions had been, the Lord forgave David. So David, I think, is an example of how God grants forgiveness when we take our sin to him in sincere confession and repentance and plead for mercy when we stop pretending that we can hide our sin and our shame and our guilt. David shows us that there is forgiveness with God. Lavish, free, gracious forgiveness with God. David's not only an example, though, of how God grants forgiveness. David is also an example to us of the joy and the freedom of knowing the forgiveness of God. 
The knowledge of his sin was crushing him when he tried to conceal it. And I think that's why this psalm is filled with joy. That's why Psalm 32 begins with the words, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed is the one in whom there is no deceit. He deals honestly with his sin before God. And and when he does, the Lord says, I will not count that sin against you. I, I will not charge it to your account. You have broken the law. And the penalty of breaking the law is the wrath and curse of God. But I will not exact that penalty on you. I will not hold it against you. I will forgive you of your trespasses and cancel the record of debt that stood against you. That is the promise God gives his children when he forgives us. You see, the granting of forgiveness means that the debt is no more. I can't use my home mortgage as an illustration because we're still paying on that. But when Kelsey and I fully paid off our, our student loans, it was a day of joyful celebration. It was like a, a burden being taken off our backs. It was a, it was a day of rejoicing. The, the loan company no, ha, no longer had any claim on me because the debt was paid. And my friends, that's the sense that Christians should have when they experience the forgiveness of their sins. The debt is paid, the guilt is gone, pardon has been issued, and, and it should fill you with joy because you know that an inestimable debt has been paid on your behalf. Your sin is forgiven. This takes us right to the very heart of the good news of the gospel. God God took the record of debt that stood against his people and he nailed it to the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus frees us from the debt of sin by paying the penalty for us. Jesus took the wages of sin. Jesus was born into this world as as a man, and Jesus kept the law. He obeyed every commandment, down to the the jot and tittle of the command. He obeyed the spirit of the law in all of his life, in in his thinking, and in his words, and in his actions. He was the righteous son of God. And yet, what does the gospel tell us? It tells us that Jesus became sin for us. He took the penalty of sin in order that we might be forgiven and found righteous in him. You see, every sin accrues debt and every sin of every one of God's people was counted to Jesus and he paid the price. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us. But maybe that leaves you wondering, if that's true, if Jesus paid the penalty for my sin on the cross, then why Why are we continuing to pray for the forgiveness of sins? Why do we confess our sin every Lord's Day? I've been asked that. That sounds kind of pessimistic. Why do we corporately and individually confess our sins together as as a congregation if our debts have been canceled on the cross? Well, let me mention, I think, a couple of reasons. And first of all, we do it because that's what Jesus tells us to do. 
We do it simply because it's obeying our master. Jesus teaches his disciples here in Luke 11 to make prayers of confession a regular part of their prayer lives. Not to beat yourself into a kind of spiritual depression, but to be right with God and to know the joy that comes with the gospel. To to live honestly before your heavenly father. So one reason we continue to pray for forgiveness is simply out of obedience to Jesus. A second reason we continue to pray for forgiveness is because we still sin. We still sin. We struggle with sin as Christians. The cross of Christ frees us from the condemnation of sin. But our ongoing sin can still hinder our fellowship with God. As Christians, we can displease our Heavenly Father. And the way back to restored fellowship is the way of repentance, the way of confession, to say to our Heavenly Father, I still sin. I need daily bread and I need daily grace. I need Christ. And so we continue to confess our sin because we trust in God to continue supplying and applying the merits of Christ's redemption to our lives. 1 John, I think, is a a great place to go. You, You know this passage well. I think it explains the need for confession and ongoing forgiveness in the Christian life. Just listen to verses 5 through 10 of chapter 1. John says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We usually... Stop the reading there. But if you continue on in 1 John into chapter 2, John not only reminds you that your father is faithful and just to forgive you when you confess your sins to him, but also he reminds you that Jesus is the propitiation for your sins and that Jesus is now at the right hand of the father as your advocate, the righteous son of God satisfied the wrath of God against our sin, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us. You see, so, my friends, the God that we trust, the God that we confess as Christians, gives us no reason to conceal our sin from him. Gives us no reason to try to pretend. Instead, he gives us every reason to come clean. Because we have a heavenly father who is, who is ready and willing to forgive all those who confess their sins to him. And because we have a savior who has satisfied the wrath of God against the sins of God's people. And who now is in heaven as your advocate. So as the children of God, you see, we have the assurance that our God is ready and not reluctant to pardon our sin. 
He he delights in mercy and steadfast love. He is not stubborn to show grace. When we go to him in Jesus' name, pleading the merits of Christ on our behalf, you can rest assured that your heavenly Father takes joy and delight in showing you the mercy of forgiveness. We have the assurance that the blood of Jesus washes us clean, restores us, for new life. And so this prayer, it shows us our need for forgiveness. It shows us that God grants forgiveness. But thirdly, it shows us our need to be a people of forgiveness. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Jesus connects our forgiveness to being a forgiving people. We need to understand that connection properly. So what what is Jesus saying? Is Jesus saying that our forgiveness is contingent upon something we do? Is Jesus saying that if you are forgiving enough toward others, then God will forgive you? No, that is not at all what Jesus is teaching here in the Lord's Prayer. First, let's recognize that this is a prayer of a Christian. This is not the prayer of someone being converted as if as if you know, they've forgiven enough people to now say to God, forgive me in light of how I have forgiven others. I've earned your forgiveness, God. That's not what this prayer is saying. This is the prayer of someone who, who names Jesus as Savior and Lord of their lives. And Jesus wants his disciples to know that experiencing God's forgiveness inevitably makes them into a forgiving people. Uh, Put in, put in a negative way, if we are not willing to forgive those who have sinned against us, then it may very well be that we have yet to experience the forgiveness of God in our own lives. See, an unforgiving Christian is a contradiction, a living contradiction. To be, willing to, or to be unwilling to forgive others is to actually be the opposite of your Heavenly Father. The Heavenly Father who graciously forgives you. And if you understand how God in Christ has forgiven you, then you understand that that motivates and compels you to extend forgiveness as God in Christ has forgiven you. So if, if we are bitter towards someone or unwilling to offer forgiveness to someone, then it may be a sign that you have yet to experience the grace of forgiveness in your own life. A willingness to forgive others is evidence of grace in your life. See, our our being a forgiving people is a consequence of our being a people forgiven by God. Paul puts it this way in Colossians 3, Verses 12 through 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And so as we pray for forgiveness, we are being reminded of our need to be a forgiving people. Here's the challenge. 
know, when we consider Matthew and Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer, I think it would, they would have us ask ourselves, what kind of forgiveness would I receive from God if I prayed, Father, forgive me as I forgive others? What kind of forgiveness would we receive from our Heavenly Father if His forgiveness of us mirrored our forgiveness of others? Instead, we're being told here, forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven you. I think too often, too often we do not extend the kind of forgiveness to others that God has graciously given to us. You know, someone may come to us and, and confess wrongdoing, confess sin, confess how they have wronged us, and we'll say, okay, sure, I, I forgive you. Let's move on. And then when something else comes up in the future, what do you do? You, you pull that sin out as a kind of ace card, and you say, aha, remember this. Remember what you did against me. Remember that. Yeah, I forgave you, but do you remember that? See, my friends, that is not the kind of forgiveness that God has shown his people. His forgiveness buried our sin into the depths of the sea, and he remembers it no more. So my hope, my hope, and my prayer is that when people look at Trinity Presbyterian Church, that they would see a congregation filled with joy because of the gospel. Filled with joy, shouts of joy, because we know that our sin has been covered and we know our transgressions have been forgiven. We know that our iniquity has been taken away from us. And I pray that they would also see a people who forgive others as God in Christ has so graciously forgiven us. You see, a people who are shaped by God's grace. Here's what we want to aim for. A people rejoicing in the grace of the gospel and a people who are shaped by that same gospel to be tender-hearted, patient, loving, forbearing, quick to forgive so that we can pray with sincerity, Father, forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive others. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Thank you for providing a solution for our sin in the cross of our Savior. We thank you that you canceled the debt that stood against us by nailing it to that cursed cross. And Lord, we pray that as a result, you would allow us to extend grace to one another, to be slow to anger and quick to forgive, not just once, not just seven times, but 70 times seven. May we continually be willing to show forgiveness to those who are indebted to us as we understand how you have forgiven us in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.